And it's Encounter with God time here on The Breakfast Show. We think we're back on air, which is going to we be nice. So. <laughs> yeah, we're certainly hoping so. Hoping you can hear us. We've had a number of people messaging us through. We do appreciate your messages uh, just to let us know that we've been having some technical struggles here this morning. But uh, we're back. Yeah. And we're about to have a Bible study. Yes, we are. Uh, what should we talk about this morning? Well, I think we're still on education. We're still on education. Was there any... Oh, let me just say... I've got a million text messages. I think they're all to do with the fact that we're <laughs> being off air. Let me make sure that... Okay. Look, while you do that, I'll just remind you of our numbers. 1-800-324-843. I think there was something here. <laughs> no, no. They're all, they're all, okay, all the text messages are just about, about uh, the fact that we were struggling with our transmission. Yeah, for whatever reason. Yes. Mystery. So you can start sending through text messages now and we will read them on air. Yes, we will. Or give us a call. It's always That's nice right. to. I mean, I don't hear people's voices, but. And there goes the phone, buzzing right now. Good to hear. <laughs> okay, let's get into our Bible study. I usually, usually catch up on all of our text messages right now, but it's Bible study time. Let's go to Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 4. 14 to 17, we are going to be reading about the law and the prophets. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 for 2 through 17. So 3? Yes. Okay. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. They have given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God. Am I reading the right? Yeah. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. All right. So who is this, uh, who is this passage being written to right here? So it's being written to Timothy. Yes. Who is a youngish spiritual godly. When you say youngish. Well, I don't know. I just know that somewhere in there Paul was like, hey, don't let people despise your youth. <laughs> like, don't let them look down on you because you're young. I don't know. Do you know? Well, in an era when the average lifespan was kind of somewhere in the early to mid 40s, mm. for somebody to be called a youth, they could not be older than 18. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this guy is pastoring a church. He's in in charge of a whole mission field. He is a very young person. Yeah. And a lot of responsibility on his shoulders. And you would say, okay, how did this particular individual get to have this much responsibility at this young age? I mean, he's given the responsibility here to appoint elders and to ordain them. Yeah. And deacons and to ordain them as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's 18. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, do do we do we do we let anybody do that in our church? I don't think so. We don't. No, we don't. Well, at least not in this country. Like there might be other countries around the world. Maybe, maybe, but I've never, I've, I've never, never seen this. <laughs> uh, I was ordained as an elder when I was, I think, seventeen or eighteen, mm-hmm. and it created a tremendous amount of controversy because you were so young. Because I was so young, until um, somebody read them this whole passage mm-hmm. from Timothy and they're like, well, Timothy was actually the one who was appointing and ordaining elders and he was that age. Mm-hmm. I remember listening to a sermon once, I can't remember who it was by, and they were making the point that um, sometimes today when we have young people who are spiritual, we'll, we kind of applaud them a bit. It's like, oh, you know, you're such a spiritual young, you know, male, female, like whatever, whoever you are. And they, were, they pointed to Timothy and says, 
nowhere in this does Paul go, oh, well done you. It's kind of like this expectation of like, yeah. Well, of course. Just lead a godly life. Absolutely. Like, what? yeah, what does your youth have to do with it? Now, people might look down on you for it, but don't let them. because. And that's like the smallest part of these letters, right? Like, it's really not about you're young, you're young, you're young. It's like there's one portion we have talking about that. And I just remember being like, ooh, that's a good point, <laughs> right? Because we do often, yes. we get a bit surprised by it or I don't know. And here's an interesting thought. Look at all of the great religious movements that have taken place around the world. Mm. Okay, so look at the average age of, you know, the disciples. They were young men. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus was 33, you know, that's, um, I'm calling that young. <laughs> Um, when he when he died, he was thirty. When he started his ministry, he was a young man, and the disciples were younger than he was. Mm. Uh, the apostle John was probably in his teenage in, in his teen years. Then you've got um, you've got say look at the Great Reformation of the 16th century. How old was Martin Luther when he nailed, nailed his 95 theses on the church door? No he idea. was just a young man. How young is young? Uh, I'll have to look that one up. Okay, <laughs> producer Liam, we need to find out how old was Martin Luther when he nailed the 95 theses on the church door. Um, we'll find the answer for that one. But he was a young man, and when you look at the reformers, you know Calvin and Zwingli and all these kind of guys, the reason that they had the impact that they had was because they started out as young men. Wow, yep. And they were able to you know, continue through for quite a number of years before they either died of old age or faced martyrdom, whatever it might be, uh, and died uh, because you know they were young men. Look at the great Second Advent movement. Yeah. You know, there was... Very, very few people over the age of like twenty three. You know, and that was a that was probably the most worldwide reformation that the world has ever seen. Mm. You know, you, you go on down through the list and it started by young people. Yeah. And if it was started by young people, it's going to be finished by young people. And so I think sometimes older people like myself are like, Yeah, you know, we've got wisdom of years and all that kind of stuff and you know, we're the ones who will be able to finish the work and do amazing things for God. But the Bible says, no, it's going to be young people. So I want to just speak to all of our young people who are listeners this morning. Mm. Don't let it hold you back. Get out there and do great things for God. Yeah. Because God's calling you to do great things. Yep. And there might be people who try, who try to get in the way. But just go. Just keep going. Like if God's called you to do something, just go do it. Oh, so Martin Luther was 35. Okay. He was 35. Oh, yeah. Fair Mm, enough. Not as young as I thought he was, but still young. (laughs) You you look at your paintings of Martin Luther – um, he looks old. He looks like he's in his. He's always painted his late forties or fifties yeah, when yeah. he does that. Yeah, I never knew he was like that. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He was young. Yeah. He's a young man. Yep. Young man full of fire. <laughs> All right. Um, so Timothy is a young person. He is in charge of a whole missionary district. Yeah. Not just a church, a whole missionary district, and he is being given a lot of uh, responsibility. How was it then that he came to be qualified to do this? Where did he get his education from? And what kind of an education did Timothy receive? Because, you know, it's one thing to be keen and to be excited to do God's work. Mm. But it's presumptuous to jump into God's work without first preparing yourself for that and gaining the education necessary. Well, Paul seemed to teach him a bit. Yes, Paul taught him a we bit, for sure. Yep. Uh-huh. And the influence. Uh-huh. There's yeah. clearly other people. Well, at least in this in verse 14 it says, you know, 
you can trust who has taught you. So I guess there's a bunch of people. Yes. I don't know. Okay, so uh, let me see here. Da, da, da. But verse 14, but continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of knowing of whom you have learned them. And okay, here's verse 15. Ah, and hmm. that from a child. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures. You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise to salvation through the faith which is in Christ Jesus. This guy wasn't just launching in full of enthusiasm and not knowing what he was doing. He had a very, very good education in the Scriptures. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so here's our challenge for each one of us, and that is uh, to raise our children in the knowledge of the Scriptures. Mm. I've known several people, not many, but several people who learnt to read reading the Bible. Yeah. They never, ever had any other book other than the Bible to read. Now, if you go back 150 years, that was kind of like the majority of the world learnt to read reading the Bible. Yeah. Because books were scarce. But the Bible was there. But the Bible wasn't that scarce 150 years ago. And a lot of, you know, your country and regional schools was the only book they had. Mm. So that's what they used. But yeah, I know a couple of people that learnt to read reading the Bible. That was the first book they ever read. And not just reading the Bible, King James Version. <laughs> I know a guy, I met him last year when I was in New Zealand Bible working, uh, old Māori fella, and he learnt um, to read and speak English by reading the Bible. Oh, really? His nana's old King James. Um, and I was like, whoa, that's a whole new level. That is epic. Yeah, so he, English second language and he learnt English reading King and James. speaking. <laughs> King James. <laughs> I wonder whether you've learned to uh, read and speak by reading the King James, whether you um, – I wonder whether the bit of the King James language sneaks out every now yeah, and then. I don't know because he must have eventually had other people around him like who, you know, didn't speak King James. Back in the day, back in the day when I was a kid, mm. and, and I don't know whether you'd be old enough to remember people like this or not, but I remember we had elderly people in our congregation, our church congregation, uh-huh. who could fully pray KJV. Yeah. No, no, I have met people like You've that. You've met people like that? Yeah. They pray, and when they pray, oh. it's just full-blown <gasps> KJV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of hymns that um, I've heard saying, you know, people still sing. How, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, you yeah. Know, and it's, it's still there. Like, still there. The influence is there. But, yeah, no, I remember I remember the first time I met, like, a, yeah, probably more elderly, and, um, yeah, she went straight, and I was like, I've never heard this. It was amazing. Oh, I it's an like, art. It is an absolute art form. Yeah. I have so much admiration for it. I could never do it. Mm. I've lost and often listened to it and like, how do you do that? Mm. I also don't think I personally could do it because I don't speak like that. So, yeah. And it doesn't mean it's fake, but for me, no. I would feel like I was – performing does that make sense you're faking it yeah like for some people it's so sincere and that's beautiful 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 but for me i'd be like nah this is me trying to i don't know what i'm trying to do <laughs> so here's here's something interesting about 16 uh, 11 english mm-hmm. you have these and thous mm-hmm. but you also have you okay so you have thou and you and oh. they are used they're two different words what was you used for okay so the english language was much more uh, complex back then. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, you know, we have one word for love, which is love, but back then they had several words. They had charity, they had love, they had, yeah. you know, different words for it. Um, and the different words were used in the context. It all has to do with the context, whether you use thee and thou, as to whether you are addressing royalty or not. Right. Interesting. I didn't which know is that. why people would pray 
in KJV. Right. Because, because if you actually understand what those words actually mean and the context in which you use them, then they're like, well, we're talking to royalty. So that's the language we use. That's so there's more to it than just mastering Shakespearean English mm-hmm. if you actually know what Shakespearean English means and is. Because mm-hmm. they have all the same words that we have plus a whole bunch of extra ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, adds another level, doesn't it? Adds yeah, another level. Interesting. And it actually makes for it actually makes for a uh, a more detailed translation because they can more accurately translate the original words. Mm-hmm. You can like do. You can. You can. Yeah. You can. You can. Yeah. You, if you. I mean, it means nothing to us today. Yeah. But if you know the meaning of those words, yeah. it gives a deeper translation because there's a broader selection of words to use. Which makes sense. Yeah. yeah. How do we get onto this? I don't. I have no reading, idea. Reading. Reading. We went down people, a massive hey, rabbit hole. Nobody was in great. And 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 you got me talking <laughs> about my favourite Bible. <laughs> No, no, we were talking about people who learn to read by reading the Bible. That's right. Yeah, and then we got onto language, which is great. And when you look at Timothy here, Mm. you know, the indication is that this is how he learnt to read was by reading the Bible. Mm. And in his day and age, it would be unusual if that wasn't the way he learnt to read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there'd be, you know, very, very few books that were available, you know, in schools or particularly for children that were primarily taught by their parents. Mm. Um, There would be, you know, and you'd take your kids down to the synagogue, which is where you would probably have a copy of the Bible and you would teach them to read right there. Yeah. And what I love about this is it's, yes, he's learnt the scriptures, but it actually says uh, it's given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting trusting in Christ Jesus. Not everyone who studied the scripture also saw that salvation was through Jesus, right? Like at this time, like, yes, there's the church started Christianity. There's still a very strong Jewish flavor of being like, we're the religion. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Like they Most definitely. It was like, yes, knowing the scripture, but still having a heart that can be taught, not just going, we have the spiritual authority because we understand. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, and not being. There's know, a difference you know. between knowing the Bible and knowing God. Mm-hmm. And accepting the and wisdom. And experiencing it. Yeah. There's a bit of difference between knowing the Bible and experiencing the Bible. Yeah, fully. Maybe that's a better way of putting it. Yeah. And this is somebody here who knows the Bible. He's been taught the Bible. And, and you know, it's an interesting thing because one of the people that I met who learnt to read in studying the Bible, I mean, learnt to read by reading the Bible, mm. there was actually a um, homeschooling curriculum that was put out. I forget what it was called, but there was a homeschooling curriculum that was put out where every subject was based off the Bible. Wow. Every subject. You could totally do reading, that. Reading, writing, arithmetic, yeah. everything was all based off the Bible. You could do heaps in that. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, and I think this kid had probably been raised on that, but he was kind of very much not experiencing the Bible. Wow. He knew his Bible yeah. inside out, back to front, upside down, like on a level that was beyond you know, anything I'd ever seen before. Mm. Uh, it was probably, what, 17, 18 at the time and was definitely not experiencing it. Mm. The good news is that since then, he has been experiencing hey. it. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, God is for good. sure. All right. Uh, let's see, where are we? From a child, you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wiser. To Okay, verse 16. All Scripture. Mm. is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. This is all about education right here. Yeah, fully. You know, the whole Bible is given for 
the purpose of education mm. and educating us in a whole bunch of different things. What are some of the different things there that the Bible is given to us to educate us in relationship to? Well, your version I actually prefer to this one Yes, today. of course. Because yeah. <laughs> this one, mine says it's useful to teach us what is true, make us realize what is wrong. But yours is a bit more specific. It's got your reproof, your instruction. instruction. What does it say? Okay, so I've got four different, uh, okay. four different points right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, first one is doctrine. Doctrine, yeah. The second one is reproof. Mm-hmm. The third one is correction. Mm. The fourth one is instruction in righteousness. Yeah. So let's begin with doctrine. What is, what is doctrine? I guess what you'd say, theology, like the actual... The teachings of Scripture. teaching around particular yeah. topics. That's right. Mm. Pick any topic you want, and this is the teaching on that topic. That's what you call doctrine. And some people say, oh, you know, we shouldn't have doctrine in our churches. Doctrine divides. Let's get rid of doctrine and just serve Jesus. But you... Well, by doing that... I was going to say you can't. (laughs) By doing that, uh, you just kind of failed because you are teaching the doctrine of serving Jesus. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is a doctrine. That is a teaching. Yeah. You can't get rid of doctrine. Yeah. You can have... Terrible doctrine. Yes. But you can't get rid of doctrine. You can have terrible doctrine. You can have weak doctrine. Mm. You can have minimal doctrine. Yeah. But you can't get rid of doctrine. Yeah, yeah. So anyone who's like, yeah, yeah, I'm not into doctrine. Nah, you are. But I think that's... Just by stating that, you're into the doctrine of having minimal doctrine. Yeah. That is your doctrine. But I think that goes back to the language we use and what we think we mean by it, right? True. Mm. I've always wondered when people say they're not into doctrine, I'm like, well, actually, what do you mean by that? Because that actually makes no sense to me at all. Yes. Ah, okay. We had doctrine, we had... We had we put a yes. comment. Someone's coming on the King James Bible. Oh, okay. Yes. I've, I've, I've started. I've, yeah, I've, I've started something. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> the language in the KJ. Oh, interesting. The KJB. I think they meant the. Uh, was during, used during the time when the English language was at its highest level of expression and in reality the words are easier to understand. I love it. There you go. Yeah. There you go. It is nice. It's nice for memorising. It takes you about yeah. three weeks of reading it to learn it. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, once you've learned it, there'll be about three words that you'll never know what they mean. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> but only three, it only takes you three weeks to learn it. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Uh, somebody texted through to say there was a time when I also prayed in Old English. Not hey, sure why you. I stopped, but I did along the way. Go you. Yeah, I think I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, I see this in, I see this in two ways. I do see the beauty of it, mm. uh, but then I sort of question, okay, just because it's beautiful, it does it then become a theatrical performance? Mm. Because it's kind of, you know, it's not that meaningful for the average person who's listening. And should our communication with God in public, in church, be more um, something that, you know, a seeker can relate to when they walk in off the street? Hmm. That's, I find that hard that between corporate and individual. Because I know a lady, a beautiful lady, but she, um, she's from Hungary and she just feels that she can express to God better in her own language. And so at church, she's like, I don't, I'm so uncomfortable praying in English that can I just pray in hunger? And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't care. But I know a couple of people have been like, but we don't know what you mean. We'd love to hear what, you know, your words. And even though you don't feel like you're articulating well, we, th- we think you are. And I, I, you know, it's that whole corporate or individual thing. 
I don't know. And here's the other thing that's interesting because, you know, I appreciate it when people pray in their own language because, you know, they're obviously connecting with God much more effectively than what they would in their second language. Mm. But the Bible says that we shouldn't pray in church corporately. If people don't understand. In another language. Yeah. In another tongue. Yeah. Unless there's someone there to interpret. Yeah. I don't know, Lyle. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, it's just one of those things. Uh, it's just one of those. And, you know, and this, of course, was something that Paul wrote in the context of a very, very multicultural church in Corinth where there was yes. a lot of different languages being spoken. Yes. Where a church plant that your brother was involved in for a while down in Sydney where there was 23 different languages oh. spoken within the 55 people who attended that church. <laughs> Days. That's amazing. Uh, it was spectacular. It was the best. Yeah, wow. Um, I loved that. That would church, be such a unique I loved that environment. Oh, it was very unique. Mm, mm, mm. It was very unique. You know, you could sort of, um, you know, you could ask. And, and yeah, you know, it was just, yeah, it was just great. Yeah. And I miss it. I, I, I kind of miss being up here in uh, the Newcastle area, which is. Not that feels, It just feels so white. 100%. <laughs> just, just no, after, I got you. After living in Sydney, mm-hmm. you know. But I think, and that's, you made a point before though, which I think is, I think we do need to also cater for the seekers. We do. Not to be. At the end of the day, it's not about us. And if. And it's not about, yeah, it's just not about us. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, you don't want to be like, it's all for the, because I'm like, hold on, we are a body too. We need to know each other. We need to be, but I'm like, on one hand, if there's no seeker there at all, ever, then we actually have a problem with the church because the point of church is mission. Yep. You know, like if we never have anyone you coming through our door, then we we're doing something wrong. Yep. Um, but also, yeah, I don't know. It's just, church is not about us. Yeah. It's about seekers. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it's there for, and we need to remember that. I tend to think that um, even though people who you know the people that I knew who used to pray in KJV did so with an honest heart in believing that, yeah, that was yeah, their, their of way of honouring God. Yeah. Um, I think that it could be very easily seen by a seeker as being a theatrical performance designed to draw attention to themselves mm. rather than simply communicating with God. Yeah. Yeah. You know the way to get around that, though? Not get around it, is develop relationships with people so they know who you are as a person and not just what they see. We've got to know each other at people. You can't I mean, argue with that, Minnie. You <laughs> can't argue with that. You absolutely can't argue with that. That was through COVID. My one little rant that I will have about COVID on air yes. is that when, well, you know, for a lot of people, churches have closed or were closed and haven't reopened. My only issue with it was I'm like, but let's just remember that church is not just about watching something, a message on the screen. You know, yes. that church, that, yes. that's not all church is. Yes. So yes, okay, we've closed down, but do we still have small groups? Do you still have people you're connecting with, contacting, whatever it is? That was my only thing. I was like, hold on, guys. Let's not, let's not now. You know what's interesting to watch? Tell me. The larger the church, the harder their startup is. Yeah. And the more people they've lost during COVID. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's because in the larger churches, people are less connected with each other. Totally. You know, I, I know small churches that have grown during COVID. Yeah. Um, I know some, you know, small churches that, you know, at the height of COVID, they um, they didn't stop worshipping. Mm. You know, yeah. they had they had three services a day with like five people at each service, oh, which okay. was legal. Yep. They could legally do that and they're like, we're not closing our church door. 
That's Just, we're, we're here for the community. We're here to share Jesus Christ with people. And we are not closing our church door. And this is a crisis. And we're going to stay open. And if we have to have 10 church, church services in a day, we doing. will have 10 different services. And it meant that the lay people had to work so much harder. Amazing. Because they're taking, you know, a Bible study every week rather than being on a like a once a month roster or a yeah. once a quarter roster or whatever it might be. Oh. And it's just like, no, nah, it's time to step up. That's so good. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> no, nah, these guys are my heroes. Yeah, I think that um, I think that we could have been more creative in hindsight as to what we could have done. Yeah. During COVID. And if you're in a you know heavily affected COVID state right now, like Victoria or somewhere like that, I think you can be more creative mm. and just put some effort in. It's worth it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And all I, yeah, the point I was making with that was just you know to only see someone on the screen or only see someone at the front doesn't diminish that they have a relationship with God or that they're speaking truth. We do need truth from the front. You know? Yes, if someone's going to be speaking like let's let's base it on the Word of God. But but discipleship includes relationship. Yes. You know, it includes good, what we were talking about before, doctrine, theology, whatever, teaching, but it also includes the relationship and the, hey, let's do some life together. Absolutely. You can't do that with every person. Like, just as humans, we can't. Mm -hmm. But we also need to put some effort in. (laughs) It's not just, not just about that. All right. The Bible says that the Word of God is profitable for doctrine and then it says for reproof. Mm. How often do you do this, Minnie? People get reproved. (laughs) (laughs) That's two two very different questions, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, from the Bible, often. Often when I'm reading, I'm like, ooh. Ouch. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And and this is what's interesting here. This is what's interesting. The Bible says that the Word of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. Mm. It doesn't say for going around and reproving people. Yeah, absolutely. There's a difference between receiving reproof and handing out a lot of reproving. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I had an uncle who, um, an uncle-in-law who believed that he had the ministry of reproof. Yeah. Oh. He kind of worshipped with himself and his wife, you yeah. know. It was really sad. Yeah. And um, yeah, before he passed away, he, he made everything right, but. Um, it was a bit of a sad life they lived. Mm. Um, then the Bible goes on and it says, for correction and for instruction in righteousness. Love those two right there. Mm. The Bible corrects me when I'm wrong and we need to be humble and accept that correction when it comes our way and, of course, receive instruction in righteousness. That's what Christianity is all about, mm-hmm. living a righteous life, living a life like Jesus lived his life mm. so that we can be an example of Jesus to the whole world around us. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Now it is time for... Question of the Day. Okay, I believe the question is on the beast in Revelation. Yep. How can a... I don't know, actually know what the question is. But how can a beast have... Oh, how do you fit ten horns on seven heads? Why are there more horns than heads? Okay, this is a really good Mathematically question. Mathematically speaking, uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh. Here's what I'm going to argue, and this will do your head in. I'm going to argue that one head has ten horns. Hey. Yes. So the Bible says, <coughs> okay, so Revelation 13, verse 1, I stood on the sand of the sea, saw a beast rise up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns. I'm going to say that there are ten horns on one head. Ah, oh, so it just has lots of heads. 
but only one with the horns on it. <laughs> no, no, no. Hey, how do you know that? Okay, okay. okay. So, mm-hmm. what you've got to understand about these beasts is that they are symbolic. Yes. All right, so they're not something that has to live and walk around the place. Yes. So they don't exist in the same biological, with the same biological necessities that are required of living creatures. And sometimes you get living creatures today that are born with more than one head, you know, you know two-headed snakes and mm. cows and different things that, you know, it's just a, an abnormality yeah. that happens. That's not what is going on here. And the reason I'm going to say this is because the ten horns are simultaneous Mm. The seven heads are consecutive. Oh, oh, okay. So the ten horns stay there all the time. It's a different head under the, under, under, under the horns at various times. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, so this is very okay. let me, symbolic. Let me, very symbolic. Yeah. Let, me, let me share with you why I say that. If you go to Revelation 13 and verse 3, the Bible says, I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. Mm-hmm receives a fatal wound. Mm-hmm. Okay? So if the beast is going to die from a fatal wound and only one of its heads is wounded, it's got six other heads to keep it alive. Yes. Yeah, so Unless infection sets in, but, you know. <laughs> okay? But that's not what we're talking about, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. But if the, if the heads are consecutive, in other words, they come one after another and you've only got one head at a time, Yeah with the ten horns on it, then it receives a fatal wound, it's over. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So that time period of that head yes. receives the fatal yes. wound. Yes. 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 Okay. Picking up what you're down. Yep. Now, now, <laughs> Revelation 17, watch this. Revelation 17, uh, the Bible says, talking about the heads, it says, there are seven kings, five are fallen, one is, the other is not yet come. So notice here, mm. the Bible says there's seven of them. Mm-hmm. Five of them are in, in the, in the, in the uh, context of this prophecy in chapter 17, in the historical context of chapter 17, which is a different historical context of chapter 13. In the historical context of chapter th- 17, when you look at the tense, you've got five that are in the past tense, one in the present tense, another in future tense. Um, yeah. So that is consecutive, not simultaneous. Now, if you want to go deep, Mm -hmm. there is an element. So they're definitely consecutive. Yeah. But there are elements of them that do exist simultaneously. Yeah, I was going to say there has to be. Because they're all attached to the one beast. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All the way through. So there's, there's there's a continuous line, a continuous element that runs all the way through. Because there's actually an eighth <laughs> now I'm bending everybody's brain. What does the Bible uh, say this? The beast. Okay, the, the seven kings, five are fallen. Mm-hmm. Um, one is, the other is not yet come. When he comes, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goes into petition. There is an eighth. All right, so if I've bended everybody's brains this morning, just send me through a bunch more questions. I love Revelation 17. It is so much fun. Uh, We can geek out there all day long on Bible prophecy. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.